Welcome to season two of How We Win. All over the country, people are doing extraordinary things. We're giving you the tools that you need to make a difference right now. We don't agonize, we organize. We've won some battles, but we still have more work to do. Joining us today to kick off our brand new season is Congressman, veteran, impeachment manager, and everyone's favorite Twitter truth teller, Ted Lieu. We talk about the GOP's attack on voting rights, the GOP's attack on the January 6th commission, and what it's like to work with the GOP. I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm Mariah Craven. And And this this is How We Win. Win. Hey, Mariah, welcome back. Yay, we're back. This feels uh, exciting, different. Yeah. So much has changed since the last time we did this. It's a whole new world, it feels like. It really does. We're in full swing with a new administration and a lot of uh, stuff happening. And we are coming in hot with an interview with Tweet and Ted. With Ted Lou. Oh my gosh, he has some things to say. <laughs> I'm so excited. Like he that's he doesn't hold back. And it's great because you always think when you're when you're talking to these folks, oh, they're trying to preserve relationships. They have to say nice things publicly about people. No, he calls people out for for their uh terrible behavior. It's yeah. Great. And he's been a great truth teller in uh, you know, really not letting people slide and and calling calling out the truth when, mm-hmm. you know, bald face lies are presented by the GOP. And so I I appreciate him so much for that. He's yeah. um a lot of people don't have the courage to say it as it is. Before we get into that, what uh what's been going on with you? I've been enjoying watching the Biden administration. I've been enjoying watching uh, what, you know, debatably, but I think is the most progressive administration we've seen, uh, certainly since FDR. And the cabinet that's come together, his administration that comes together is uh, historically diverse. That's exciting. But you were asking about what I've been doing. So, <laughs> I mean, it's admirable that you've been so focused on the Biden administration. Totally. But sure, surely you've done something else these last three months besides watch MSNBC. Well, I'll talk more about it in when we get to our reasons for hope. But uh, okay. it's it's been exciting to be fully vaccinated and mm-hmm. to be able to get back out into the world. Um, my daughter is about to graduate from high school. So spending wow. some time um, with her as she's nearing the end of her high school career, getting ready to go off to college, um, contemplating uh, being an empty nester with my wife. Um, you know, yeah, that sounds intriguing to some, terrifying to others. It's a, probably a mix <laughs> mix for us both. <laughs> uh-huh. So there's been a lot of that. And um I'm not going to lie. I like working. I love doing this podcast. I'm really excited to be back in action. What about you? You had some major life changes. Oh, huge life changes. Y'all, I moved to Texas less than a month ago. Yeehaw. Uh, yeehaw right as things started getting uh, very weird. Uh, but we can talk about that in a few minutes. Um, so I left the the blue bubble of Los Angeles, and I'm in the less blue bubble of Austin. 
Um, and, and it was, uh, you know, we got vaccinated right before we left so that we could um, do a little bit of a road trip and see a little bit of California before we left and then ended up in Texas. Oh, my gosh. Angelinos and New Yorkers. People are so nice in other places. They're so <laughs> friendly here. <laughs> it's okay to talk to people here. They're not trying to scam you. It's been, uh, it's been. Are you sure? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still ready for the other shoe to drop, but I'm enjoying actually talking to to people in the community in the meantime. Yeah, everybody's friendly. Everybody's. I love Austin. I think Austin's a great town. Yeah, it's it's been fun so far, um, and you know the the little baby is is less of a little cute blob and more of a babbling, <laughs> crawling, getting into trouble, cute, bigger blob. Keeping you on your toes. He he is, and it's it's awesome and a joy, and um, it's been fun exploring a new city with him. Well, I'm excited for you guys, and. Um, you know, we got so used to recording this remotely anyway. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, that's the coronavirus taught us how to do this while we're not in the same room. And um, so we'll keep doing it. But I want to come do a show in Austin. Uh, maybe we can even do a live show at some point. That would be super fun. That would be awesome. Yeah. I guess for the last year, we've been doing it virtually I, and we've gotten great guests. Um, mm -hmm. The conversations are often better in person, but we I feel like we've gotten like a wider variety of guests doing it virtually. So I'm excited about the folks that we have lined up um, this coming season. And I would love to hear from listeners, you know, who they want to hear from that, that we haven't had a chance to chat with yet. I'm excited about this season, too, because we uh, have an opportunity to go a little deeper on, on some of the issues that really matter to us and learn more about the legislation that we need to push. And, and mm -hmm. um, but always how that connects to you, our amazing activist, volunteer listeners and um, what your role in it is. How can you make an impact? You know, we have a lot of work to do, and it's really important, as we know, coming into this uh, Virginia election. We're going to be talking a lot about Virginia and all the work we have to do there to make sure we maintain that trifecta and also uh, the bellwether that Virginia is for the midterms and, and upcoming elections. That's going to be a tough, tough task. So uh, I want everyone to keep persisting, everyone to stay engaged. And we will give you a lot of uh, great information, great insight from our guests to, to keep you fired up. Uh, yeah, I think some sometimes it can be a little tricky in um, a, a slightly off year to know what to do and, and how to remain engaged. Um, and Congressmember Lou has some great suggestions of, of what you can do starting this week. Um, and I'm excited for folks to hear about that, as well as for the for the action items um, that we're going to be giving you today and in the weeks and months to come. That's right. I got all excited when he talked about civil disobedience. Spoiler alert! You're at the <laughs> tune in for what he said. I was like, what? <laughs> so lots to lots to talk about. Lots of stuff coming up just in June. And uh, for those who are, who are just finding our show 
This, welcome. Welcome. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for finding our show. Usually Mariah and I will talk more about the weeks of news, but since we haven't talked in a few months, um, uh, we're catching up. But uh, coming up in June, we've got some key legislation moving through Congress, the American Jobs Plan, American Families Plan, the For the People Act, which is so important. Um there are some key Supreme Court decisions which are coming down in June. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of stuff to look at. So um, we're, we're going to be talking about that this month. And like I said, we're also going to lean into Virginia and, or, and our work there at Swing Left, helping you plug into those very important elections. Awesome. So, Steve, you have this great new feature that we are going to start doing or at least try to do. <laughs> <laughs> we have a new feature. We have a new we- segment. Well, I want to give credit where credit's due. It's, it was your idea. And it's a great <laughs> idea. So let's give credit. Hero of the week. Yay. So our hero of the week is me for coming up <laughs> with this great idea. <laughs> Every week it's going to be Steve. Spoiler. <laughs> no. no, no, no. Tell us, tell us, is it, uh, I mean, it's really a group of heroes this week. In honor of you moving to Texas also, we are going <laughs> to honor the Democratic legislators in Texas who walked out of session to block this heinous GOP voter suppression bill. We're seeing these voter suppression bills under the false pretense of uh, election fraud all over the country. And this one in Texas is one of the worst and mm-hmm. most egregious. Uh, look, the GOP is really scurred, you guys. They are scurred because <laughs> they see the organizing that uh, volunteers like you have been doing on the ground, the infrastructure right. that is built up in Texas. Uh, and they know that if they don't do something to make it harder for black and brown people to vote, then they're going to lose the majority in Texas and they're going to lose elections unless they disenfranchise voters. So that's their goal. The Democrats literally walked out preventing a vote on this. Doesn't mean it's over. They can still put together a special session, which they undoubtedly will. Mm-hmm. The governor can call it. Yeah. Yeah. And he will because he supports this. Um so tip of the hat to these bold legislators who literally walked out of session to block this bill. Yeah. And just for, for context, so the Texas state legislature meets only in odd numbered years. They meet for 140 days. It's a very short window every two years. And then they the republic it's a republican led legislature of course they pass a bunch of terrible bills you've probably heard of some of the 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 worst ones that have come out um this year like what Im- amounts to a six week abortion ban um open carry handguns without permits you know stuff like that um and this voter suppression bill was one of the many all-nighters they've been pulling as the session wraps up um and democrats walked out in the middle of the night there were a lot of bills that deserved a walkout, um, and, and this was probably at the top of that list. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And can you imagine making that the top priority, too, with all that's, you know, all the suffering that especially people in Texas have been going through in this last year around the coronavirus, around infrastructure and the power grid and all that, that they would um, prioritize these egregious voter suppression bill. So thank you, Democrats of Texas. <laughs> yes. Hang it, hang in there. 
Hang in there. And a lot of people also, uh, I think this would be an interesting topic for people, uh, for our listeners to explore more is to dive into how local legislatures work in different states, because mm. I think people will be surprised at how short legislative sessions are in most states. I mean, California included, too. There's a very tight window for legislation in, um, in these state houses. Um, it, it doesn't work the same way Congress does. All right, so, Mariah, let's talk about our reasons for hope. What's your reason for hope this week, Mariah? So this week, I want to shout out Amber Goodwin, who is the founder of the Community Justice Action Fund, which is uh, a anti-gun violence group led by the people most impacted by gun violence, people of color. And she is going to be very soon a graduate of Mitchell Hamline School of Law. Um, she had a tweet go viral a couple of weeks ago that I, I want to read to you all. Uh, it says, sorry, not sorry in advance for all the law graduation pictures y'all are about to get. She's a Texan too, by the way. <laughs> I'm 41, never been married, have no kids, and most days society refuses to celebrate people like me. It's been a very rough year, but this is a bright spot for many of us. It was all worth it. And this tweet blew up 306,000 likes and counting. It's something that people really relate to. And it gives me hope that here's somebody who is pursuing her dreams and 41 is still very young, but it's, it's, I guess, on the older side for an advanced degree. So uh, she really stuck with it and, and that's exciting. But also what an important reminder to celebrate everything that people do, like all of the hard work, it should be celebrated, whether it's um, the traditional milestones that our society recognizes um, or not. Like this is such a great time of year. So many people are graduating and thinking about the future. And it's just, to me, a very hopeful time of year. And this was a very hopeful message and an important reminder to, to celebrate people as often as we can. And that's my reason for hope this week. I love that. I mean, it sounds like Amber could also be one of our heroes of the week too, but um she is, and I want her on this show, um, and uh, uh, because I want everyone to hear what an incredible story. And, and that's the other thing is she's so impressive to me. She's done so much with her life. It never occurred to me that somebody who was so successful would feel unrecognized. But mm. again, that's you. You, you never know um, what people are receiving. So all the more reason to tell them um, when you can what you think about them. Of that. So. Just like yeah. Billy Joel once said, tell her about it. Tell her <laughs> exactly how you feel. I hope we get a musical <laughs> reference <laughs> during every show now. You're in the studio. I can I can see the drums and the guitars behind you. And Billy speakers. Joel is very wise. He's very wise. <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> tell me about your reason for hope this week. Uh, so my reason for hope is the vaccine rate in our country right now. And uh, and certainly I'm grateful for it. 70% COVID vaccination rate in May may be in reach, uh, which is incredible. Um, by all measures, our vaccination rate has far surpassed what 
myself and many, many other people thought it would be at this point, uh, probably including the Biden administration themselves. Um, mm-hmm. uh, they have certainly surpassed their initial goals and keep raising that benchmark. But like I said at the beginning of the show, being fully vaccinated, I was able to fly out and visit my parents in D.C., mm-hmm. who I hadn't seen for a year and a half. And wow. uh, they're older. My dad's going to be 90 in August. And uh, to be able to give them hugs, actual hugs, and uh, and spend some time with them uh, was so meaningful. My daughter is having a real graduation. It's outside mm. at the Rose Bowl. Um, oh, wow. And Special. Yeah. And, uh, you know, my heart breaks for the kids last year that didn't get to have that full graduation. But uh, I'm grateful that we're able to cautiously return back to some of the things that we were doing before. I hope everyone, if you haven't been vaccinated yet, get your vaccines, please. Um, if we can hit 70 uh, by the summer, that's incredible. And then we can really uh, be together and do some of the stuff that we missed doing uh, last year. Really get back to normal. Yeah. So that's my reason for hope. Now it's time for this week's to-do list. First thing, Tomorrow, June 3rd, tomorrow, uh, Swing Left and the National Democratic Training Committee is hosting a training on talking to voters. Remember that, Mariah? Remember when we talked to voters? I talk to voters every day. Everyone (laughs) you meet is a potential voter. (laughs) That is so on message and also true. (laughs) So thank you for that. Yeah. So it's going to be a really great training, and I know it's short notice, so we're going to have the link to sign up in our show page at swingleft.org slash podcast. Sign up. Take part in this great training. Following the training, uh, there'll be some opportunities to put those skills into action. It's going to be focused especially on phone banking right now, but sign up for that. That's your first thing to do, and why not jump right in? Get trained. Do it. Hone your skills. Gain some confidence. Let's power up for the work ahead. Yeah, I, I think I, I need this training because I I do talk to people about voting all the time, but I don't talk I, like I don't. It's been a long time since I've tried to do a persuasive conversation with a voter around a specific topic. Yeah. Um, so I imagine I'm a little rusty. I feel I socially overall, I feel very rusty and awkward. <laughs> so, so, yeah, we were all, just talking about that. Sounds, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, the other thing that we need people to do is help us build this How We Win community. You can help people find us by, of course, telling them about how much you love this podcast, but also by uh, rating us and writing a review on the Apple podcast. Yes, please. App situation. Please rate and write a review on Apple. We want to blow up season two, make it even bigger and better than season one was, which I know that seems, how do you make it better than season one? But we can do it. I believe in everybody. So please rate and review us on Apple and everywhere else too. I'm super excited about our first interview of the season. Um, one of everyone's faves, uh, except for Donald Trump, uh, Ted, Ted Lou joined us to, to kick off the season. Congressman Ted Lieu represents California's 33rd Congressional District. He is serving in his third term in Congress and currently sits on the House Judiciary Committee and the House Foreign Affairs Committee. 
Representative Liu is also a former Air Force officer and currently serves as a colonel in the Air Force Reserves. In Congress, Ted is a leader on the environment, cybersecurity, civil liberties, government ethics, and veterans. And on Twitter, he is a leader in combating the GOP with truth and a healthy dose of shade. Thank you for that. And Congressman Liu, thank you so much for helping us kick off season two of How We Win. Thank you. I'm honored to be with you today. Oh, the honor is ours. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, we have a lot to talk about. But before we do, you have a couple of sons. We're starting to see the light at the end of the COVID tunnel here. How is your family? How's everyone doing coming out of the pandemic? Uh, everyone is doing great. I'm very pleased that my younger son just uh, finished uh, his second vaccination with Pfizer. Nice. How old is he? Uh, he is... Um, about to be 16. Uh, they've authorized us, you know, for 12 and older. Yeah. Yeah. It's exciting. We're going to a movie this weekend because we're all fully vaccinated. Wow. Vaccines are great. Ah, very cool. <laughs> At this point, um, we usually ask guests what their first memory of being civically engaged was. Um, but I want to ask you, when you first became a, a Twitter warrior, basically, you were one of the few who's been able to best Donald Trump on his favorite platform. So I actually started Twitter when I was in the California State Legislature. A bunch of my posts were actually about food, um, and I thought it was sort of an interesting platform. It really didn't take off until a few years ago, and I was sort of surprised because uh, I remember talking to my staff one day saying, you know, it's not like I'm doing magic. Uh, I'm just telling <laughs> the truth. Uh, but I guess there was a hunger for the truth because of all the falsehoods coming from the right. Trump administration. And that's really what started it. Just um, the view that I had that if Donald Trump was going to make 27 lies uh, in a week, I'm going to call out or try to call out all 27 lies. You did it very, very effectively. And you continue to do that with um, your air quotes for listeners, colleagues in the House right now. Um, let's talk about the work that you're doing. Uh, first of all, Last week, there was a filibustered attempt at the January 6th Insurrection Commission. Uh, you, within the Judiciary Committee, serve on the Subcommittee of Crime, Terrorism, Homeland Security Investigations. And of course, you also served as impeachment manager for the second impeachment because there was two of them. Um, the House passed this bipartisan bill to establish a bipartisan commission to investigate January 6th. Why didn't the Senate even uh, – the Republicans in the Senate even want to go onto the floor? I remember when I was presenting at the impeachment trial, and if any of you have seen the Senate chambers, you'll know it's relatively small. Uh, so Senator McConnell is in the center, and he's pretty close to you, and he just stares at Sorry, you. Sorry I, about that. Um, <laughs> so I was actually sort of unnerved for the first few minutes because McConnell was literally just staring at you the whole time. And then after a while, I thought, this is pretty cool because he's literally – listening to every word we were presenting. And to his credit, he sat with rapt attention the entire trial. Uh, not all Republican senators were paying attention, but McConnell was. And if you listen to his speech right after the impeachment trial, he comes straight out and says that there was no question, none, that President Trump was practically and morally responsible for provoking the January 6th insurrection. So he knows how bad this evidence is against a former president and his supporters. And my view is he opposed the commission because he didn't want any more of this bad stuff to come out 
for the American people to see prior to the 2022 elections. So many of the Republicans are complicit in it. So, uh, yes, it's going to be bad politically for them if information about their involvement and uh, complicity in this uh, historically terrible event comes out, right? Correct. Uh, I do want to note that Senate Republicans and Mitch McConnell cannot stop the full truth from coming out. There are alternative measures to uh, investigate. The Speaker of the House could, for example, empower a select committee the same way that there was a Benghazi select committee, and that committee would have full subpoena power. So wouldn't get the full truth. It's just the form in which it is going to be arrived at. That's also something that's kind of bananas to me. I don't understand uh, why they wouldn't want to move forward with this truly bipartisan commission that gives Republicans and Democrats equal sway over subpoena power and instead hand it over to uh, a House commission that would have full authority to call whoever they want um, by subpoena. It really boggles the mind. If you look at the Benghazi Select Committee, for example, at a full subpoena power and the Democrats on the committee were unable to stop the issuance of subpoenas. This bipartisan commission bill, as it's crafted, Republicans on the commission could, in fact, stop the issuance of subpoenas. So they're going to get a much stronger um, body to investigate if they don't have this bipartisan commission. And I really don't understand strategically what the Republicans are actually thinking. Aside from uncovering the truth, which is is what we all deserve to, to know what happened, what do you hope will be the outcome um, after the investigation has been completed? That's a great question, Mariah. One reason we did the second impeachment trial, even though the former president didn't have that many days left in office, wasn't just to hold him accountable. It was to create a record and preserve what happened for the American people to see now and for future generations. Thank goodness we did that because literally less than four months later, you had Republicans like Andrew Clyde saying that January 6th was like, quote, a normal tourist visit, or other Republicans saying that it was, quote, peaceful patriots. So you already have people trying to tell us not to believe our eyes and ears. This Investigation January 6th, whether it's with a bipartisan commission or a select committee, is also going to have the very important role of preserving for history what actually happened on January 6th, what led up to it, and what the consequences were, so that it's not only about holding people accountable, but also telling future generations this is what happened and how we can make sure it never happens again. What are you, what are you going to remember most about that day moving forward? I remember on January 6th that, uh, first of all, it started out normally, but then about 15 minutes after the session started, uh, most of us, by the way, were not on the floor because there was a pandemic. They didn't want most of us on the floor. So we were in our offices. I heard this loud banging on the doors of my hallway, and it got really quite loud until it arrived at my door. And then we opened the door, and a Capitol Police officer rushes in saying, you need to evacuate immediately. I think that's what I would remember um, because it was so out of the blue. We didn't know what was happening. And when a Capitol police officer says that, you evacuate immediately. And we raced down five flights of stairs to the tunnels so we can go to the next office building, which they had secured. Hmm. If this new commission, which I 
I think is an assumption that's pretty safe to make that uh, Speaker Pelosi will establish um, within the House is created. I would imagine that some former impeachment managers who have already been digging into this material would like to be a part of that. Would you uh, like to be a part of that as well? I would. It's also completely up to the speaker. Uh, so whatever she thinks is best uh, for America and for the caucus, uh, I would support. Shifting to an, uh, one of the other many things that, that you have on your plate, um, there's recent legislation that passed with overwhelming bipartisan support that was signed by President Biden, the COVID-19 Hate Crimes Act. Uh, 62 of your GOP colleagues voted against it in the House, uh, and Senator Hawley voted against it in the Senate. As a naturalized citizen born in Taiwan, what does this law mean to you, especially in the wake of the previous administration? Now, we know that even though overall hate crimes decreased last year, they surged against the Asian American and Pacific Islander community. One report showed that the surge was nearly 150% in terms of hate crimes increase against Asian Americans across major cities in America. So I'm very pleased that both the Senate and House did act on a bipartisan basis to pass a COVID-19 hate crimes law. I'm a co-author of that law. It does three main things. First, it requires the Department of Justice to expedite COVID-19 related hate crimes cases. Second, it provides grants to states to better track and report on hate crimes. And obviously that applies through all hate crimes, not just those committed against the AAPI community. And then third, it provides guidance to local jurisdictions on how to talk about hate incidents and hate crimes. And that's important because as all of us know, last year, the former president of the United States would use racist phrases like Kung flu uh, or other ethnic identifiers in describing the virus. And that's caused harm to the AAPI community. Yeah. It's a pretty stark contrast and um, uh, reason 1001 that I'm grateful that we were able to take back the House and the Senate in the last election. Um, but, ooh, that was a smooth segue that I didn't even intend to do. Speaking <laughs> of elections, there's a few other transformative pieces of legislation that are making their way through the Senate right now, including the For the People Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. Uh, with GOP legislatures all over the country passing historic voter suppression laws, how important is it for the Senate to pass these bills? And what does it mean for our work in the midterms if they don't pass? Hello, filibuster. <laughs> uh, that's a great question, Steve. The House passed H.R. 1. Yeah. We named it H.R. 1 because we viewed it as our most important bill. It's now before the Senate. It does three main things. It protects voting rights. Um, it also has anti-corruption provisions, and it has significant campaign finance reform to get big money and dark money out of politics. I hope the Senate uh, can pass this. In order to do that, they would have to modify or remove the filibuster. Let's say the Senate doesn't pass it. These laws in these various states, such as Georgia and Arizona, uh, they are bad, uh, make no mistake about it. But at the same time, they're not like the Jim Crow laws where they would literally just stop you from voting. So if you couldn't, for example, count the number of jelly beans in a jar, you couldn't vote. What these laws do, these new ones, they put obstacles in front of you. But anyone who's registered to vote can vote. And I think there's a big opportunity here to get everyone to vote and get them angry 
that Republicans are trying to suppress their vote, I think we could see a very big backlash. And I'll give you an example. Uh, one of their provisions uh, is pretty crazy. They basically criminalize giving water to voters standing in a long voting line. Who are well, standing you know in lines for like seven hours in some cases, too. That's correct. But you know what? The voters can bring their own water or bring their own snack. Um, but you know what else? I'll bet you a lot of people are going to do what I do, which is fly to Georgia on Delta Airlines, wear Nikes and a Major League Baseball cap, and hand <laughs> water out to voters standing in line. I think you're going to get mass civil disobedience. I think you're going to have an army of volunteers descending on slates like Georgia and Arizona for the purpose of turning out voters. And I think we have a chance to have a big backlash next year and drive up Democratic turnout. I want to help organize that. So yeah. um, so we'll talk offline about the um, the bus trips to hand out waters. That sounds sounds great. Uh, let, let's talk a little bit more about the Republican Party, which appears mm. to have completely gone off off the rails at, at this point. Um, moderate Republicans are being pushed out of leadership. See Liz Cheney. Trump loyalists are are really digging in. Um, Marjorie Taylor Greene, I'm not even going to repeat the, the anti-Semitic comments that she's been making. We have Matt Goetz under investigation for um, all sorts of, of uh child sex trafficking and, and, and things like that. Um, these are these are the GOP's rising stars. How do you work with a group of people like this? Uh, Mariah, you're absolutely correct. This is no longer uh, the party of Ronald Reagan or Bush or Paul Ryan. It's the party of Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates, And we're seeing a hard turn, uh, not even to the right, but just to craziness. In the past, Republicans and Democrats would disagree um, on issues. We have different opinions, but we would actually agree on the facts. Mm. But if you can't call something that's red, red, and instead you call it green, that is a problem. If you call up, down, or vice versa, that's a problem. And so you have Republicans like Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates living in a completely alternate reality. And it's very hard to govern, let alone deal with them. And so we're in a difficult place right now uh, in terms of our democracy. And my hope is that the rational, logical wing of the Republican Party gets more powerful and eventually uh, overcomes folks like Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates. But right now, uh, they're clearly uh, losing to the radicals and crazies in the GOP. And we're really watching the radicalization of the Republican Party in real time. Mm. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It, looks, it really looks like it's going the other way. The, As you said, the crazies are taking over. And I grew up in D.C. I grew up in um, a political family in D.C. And there was a lot – this is a, a while ago. This is before a lot of the representatives' families started staying in their districts and we all went to school together and stuff. So how much cross-pollinating – like what's, what's your day look like in, in D.C. when you're on the Hill? Do you – is everyone just in their isolated bubbles right now? How do you communicate? What's your day-to-day -day look like? So it is true that the senators and members of Congress now don't stay in D.C. over the weekends or for long periods of time like they used to uh, decades ago. At the same time, it wouldn't really matter if I was at social events with Marjorie Taylor Greene. She would still be crazy, <laughs> right? Um, so... I think 
at the margins, it, it does affect relationships within Congress. But the core problem now is not because we don't see each other, you know, at a baseball game. It's uh, really because you've got radical, crazy people like Matt Gates and Roger Taylor Green and, and other folks. And that is in part due to the Republican base. Um, if you look at recent polls, and they're not only disbelieving the evidence of their eyes and ears, for example, about the insurrection, they're holding literally two conflicting opposite ideas in their own head. So one poll shows that more than 50 percent of Republicans believe that the insurrection was caused by violent left wing protesters known as Antifa, who are trying to make Trump look bad. And then another poll shows more than half Republicans believe that it was a peaceful um, demonstration. <laughs> so you, it can't be both. Uh, but yet they're able to simultaneously hold these ideas. And it really is. Um, going to a level of crazy that I haven't seen before uh, in politics in my lifetime. So, so when you when you see Marjorie Taylor Greene in the hallway, do do you talk to her? Do you how does how does that how does that even work? Uh, so most people don't try to talk to her on the Democratic <laughs> side. Uh, she does have a penchant for stalking AOC. It's really yeah, quite right. bizarre, and yeah. as all of you know. That happened before she was a member of Congress as well. I do think Marjorie Taylor Greene doesn't have all her marbles. Uh, there is something um, fundamentally wrong with how she thinks and how she acts, yeah. especially the grossly anti-Semitic statements she's made recently are really quite horrifying. So um, you have other people as well, right? Like Matt Gates. not only is he under investigation for sex crimes with a minor, but just... The other day, to his supporters, he basically told them to shoot Silicon Valley employees. He was mad about uh, his view that there was alleged censorship uh, by these social media platforms. And he literally stated that they have an obligation to use the Second Amendment. Um, so this is pretty frightening wow. stuff coming from members of the Republican Party. So – um, what can we do? Um, I want to get to the solutions here because we have our listeners are a bunch of volunteers and activists who want to do something and be part of the solution. So how can we help combat what you recently called the radicalization of the GOP? I think Abraham Lincoln had it right when he said that public sentiment is everything. Mm. With it, nothing can fail. Without it, nothing can succeed. Mm. President Biden is getting astronomical poll ratings even from the conservative polling from Rasmussen, where Biden has a double-digit uh, net approval rating. Um, and other polls, he's getting you know 60% or sometimes even higher. Uh, so what you're seeing is that public sentiment is with President Biden. And that is um, a very good indicator because even though historically the party controlling the White House loses House seats in the midterms, the times when that was not true was when the president had net positive approval ratings. It happened under George Bush. It happened under Bill Clinton. So there is every reason to believe that if Democrats continue to deliver, such as on um, laws like the American Rescue Plan, and we continue to suppress this virus and get the economy going, I believe that we can hold on to the House next year. And I want everyone who is listening to understand their power to shape public sentiment. Mm -hmm. Social media is free. So if you write an interesting post, you could affect a voter in Florida. 
or in North Carolina, uh, or in Ohio. If you write letters to the editor, you're going to get published. It is true that many people do write letters to the editor. It's also true that many of them come from the same people. So when they start yeah. hearing new voices, uh, you can start shaping hearts and minds. And then think about attending rallies or marches or working on campaigns, whether it's for an issue or a candidate. Understand your power to shape public sentiment. Let me just add to that also that um, the American Rescue uh, Act, which is wildly popular and has been giving a lot of people relief, um, there's a lot of GOP uh, members who did not vote for it who are taking credit for it. And uh, just believe it was yesterday, Biden came out with uh, <laughs> the names of the people and, and quotes where they've been taking um, credit for this. But it's because it's so popular. And as you said, um, the Republican people, citizens, are getting their news from a different ecosystem. They're they're watching Fox News, and and uh, they don't know where this came from. So I think part of the work we need to do is to make sure that they know that it was the Democrats and the Biden administration that brought them this relief that's helping prop up our economy and get us through this pandemic. That's absolutely correct. Uh, a recent poll showed that nearly half of rural voters did not know that Democrats were responsible for the stimulus checks that they were getting. Yeah. Uh, so it is important that we continue uh, to highlight the American Rescue Plan. Whip Clyburn um, is fond of saying uh, that one of his mentors told him uh, that the key to staying in Congress is pretty simple. Basically, um, you tell the people you're going to do good things for them, then you do good things for them. And then you remind them that you did good things for them. <laughs> uh, so we got to remind people of the American Rescue Plan and the amazing benefits it has uh, for American families as well as businesses. That's such a refreshing change from the GOP's plan of voting against the people, trying to stifle all the work Democrats are doing, <laughs> then take credit for it and try to suppress the vote by passing restrictive laws that uh, that hurt and make it harder for black and brown people to vote. So that's two different ways to go about it, I guess. Democrats and Republicans are not the same. <laughs> no. Very different. Um, so uh, obviously a lot of work to do, um, but we always like to, to wrap things up on a positive note and ask, um, what gives you the, the most hope for our future right now? Even though we're reading uh, some distressing news headlines, I do want to remind everyone listening and watching that last year, the American people rose up and fired the incumbent president. But that is not easy to do. Most of the time, incumbent presidents get reelected. Uh, in addition, the people gave us control of the U.S. Senate and helped us hold the House. Uh, so in four years, we went from Republican control of the White House, Senate, and House to now Democrats controlling the Senate, House, and White House. So that is a pretty remarkable change in just four years. Democracy does allow the American people to course correct, and that's what the American people did. And now... If we work together, we're going to be able to deliver for the American people and look forward to working with everyone as we continue to form a more perfect union. And again, understand your power to shape public sentiment and to affect the outcome of history. Representative Liu, thank you so much for joining us and kicking off, as I said, our first episode of season two. Um, and thank you so much for all of the work that you do in Congress. 
Uh, thank you so much and look forward to working with you. For joining us today. This is how we win. We win when we all get involved and stay engaged. How are you staying engaged this year? We want to hear from you. Tweet to us at bluesboysteve and at Mariah underscore Craven or send us an email at podcast at swingleft.org. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review on Apple or wherever you get your pods and let everyone know you're listening. One of our action items, share our show on social media, check out our page at swingleft.org slash podcast, and of course, sign up to volunteer. We really appreciate you being here with us, and we will be back with some more next Wednesday. MSW.